Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 49 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around on social media, and if you have time, please leave a review on iTunes. Joining me today is my co-host, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you, and did you survive any hurricane windage over on your side of the state? Yeah, that's all we got was like wind and rain, and not even much of that. The hurricane, Dorian, didn't didn't come to, to come to really visit us, so I'm thankful for that. I hope anybody who was hit by the hurricane got through it all right, and uh, wait for the next one, I guess, since even though it doesn't rain in North Carolina, according to the man in office, we apparently, you know, still get damaged. Amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it was so funny over here. People were, like, freaking out, and I'm like, have you watched the weather at all? It's like, I know there's a hurricane, but, like, nothing in the model suggests we're going to get anything but maybe some rain and a little extra wind than we normally would have this time of year. And we barely, I, I think we got like a shower the one afternoon and we didn't even really have much wind over here. So I was like, yeah. I was like, come on, man. I was like, it's like, it, it's one thing if we were over closer to Raleigh and Wilmington and stuff, that's different. But I'm like, I'm over here in Charlotte. And I'm like, you guys are freaking out. It's like, come on now. Yeah, we didn't get anything in Durham. I know the, the coast was hit a little bit, but it wasn't as bad. I mean, it being on the coast, you're going to see hurricanes all the time anyway, and it doesn't seem like it was as bad as the ones we've had in years past, so that's good news. Yeah, I remember when we were living, because uh, where I lived in Warsaw before, it was like in between Raleigh and Wilmington, and um, the first time that there was going to be a hurricane, it was like... Um, like, the local people were freaking us out because, like, that area had been hit pretty bad in the past. And they were like, oh, like, when Hurricane so-and-so hit it, like, it ravaged the, uh, the the hog farms. And there were, like, you know, there was standing water and dead pigs floating in the... And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, that sounds horrible. You know? And then I'm like, they're freaking me out about, like, tying shit down. So I'm, like, tying all this shit down to my front porch and stuff and... You know, I went and got, like, supplies and shit because I'd never been in a hurricane because I lived in Pittsburgh and, like, West Virginia for college. So, it's, like, never had to deal with a hurricane. So, I was, like, freaked out. And then, like, the hurricane came and I was in the middle room of my house with the wife and kid. And um, I was chilling and doing some writing and stuff like that and watching TV. And we got wind and rain and the cable never went out. The electricity never went out. It just... You know, they're like, yeah, the hurricane is over us. And, like, people are calling, like, make sure you guys are okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. Like, there's, like, really nothing going on here. It's like a rainstorm. But, like, th- these people, like, freaked me the hell out, man. And, like, like, trust me, I understand that shit gets really bad. But I was, like, I was preparing for, like, end of days the first time. You know? Right. <laughs> but, uh, thankfully, I've never had to deal with anything that bad regarding that. Um and thankfully, uh, we also moved uh, further inland now over past Charlotte, so I don't have to worry about it as much. But yeah, it's uh, not good times. But like you said, hopefully anybody that got uh, affected by that, hopefully everything will be okay. I hope to never have to deal with stuff like that. So, All right, so Jeremy, we're going to talk some wrestling today. We're going to get to the Global Wars, the Spectacular Art Tour, but it's coming up on the one-year anniversary of... Lucha Underground's Ultima Lucha Quattro. And uh, that is, as of now, 
Okay, unless something drastically changes. The last show in Lucha Underground history, the two-part event. And I thought with it coming up on that anniversary, it might be fun to kind of look back at that those uh, the, the two-part show, excuse me, and uh, kind of just look at where everybody ended up and uh, maybe kind of decide what legacy Lucha Underground left as a whole. So as we get into this, Jeremy, just initial, what were your initial thoughts on Lucha Underground during its run? I love Lucha Underground. Um, you were actually the person who kind of suggested that I watch it. Like, not that I didn't know of Lucha Underground, because when you follow it, of course, you're going to know about all of these promotions. But I never watched it to start with. And then we were talking um, at the the NXT event that we went to, and you're like, "Oh yeah, you you and um, my wife, like you guys would love it. Like it's very like story driven. They they do like a cool like a lot of wacky stuff and whatnot." And I was like, "All right, like I'll check it out." And so it was on it was on Netflix, and so I just like binge watched uh, the first couple of seasons on on Netflix one night, and like it was really, you know, they they created their own universe with their stories, and for the most part it all made sense and a lot of stuff tied together and they had some big picture ideas. Like it really was like a television show just with wrestling and like almost a soap opera with wrestling. And that's perfectly fine with me. I like stories in my wrestling. So I thought Lucha Underground, not maybe not quite like ahead of its time, but certainly in how they shot different stuff. Like you see a lot of influence in, in impact with how, how they shoot their stuff. Like Lucha Underground basically did that to uh, better than Impact, but, but they did it sort of on that grand stage first. And they, when we look back at this show, you know, we're going to come across a lot of names. It's like, oh shit, like Lucha Underground really made this person feel special. Like if you look at a lot of uh, the, the rosters out there right now, Lucha Underground made a lot of these guys feel special and brought them into uh, the American light because, sure, they may have worked in Mexico and elsewhere, but not a lot of American fans may have been familiar with them unless they watched Lucha Underground. Yeah, um, for me, I think everybody knows I was a big fan of the show. I think season two was just, that was like, you know, call it what you kind of like their magnum opus, man. It was just... Everything about season two for me worked for that promotion. I really loved it. And for me, like one thing I've always tried to do as a wrestling fan is I've always tried to add new stuff because I think wrestling can get kind of stale. You know, like as a kid, I grew up an NWA fan. And then like, you know, I started, I would watch like, you know, like global and AWA on and uh, world class on ESPN, uh, obviously WWF. Um, into WCW, um, ECW, and then, you know, when WCW and ECW died, that, like, kind of rocked me a bit, you know, because I was that big NWA fan, and then, like, WCW, the last remnant of that was gone. So, from that point on, I really kept trying to find different things, because I didn't want to end up hating wrestling, because I had always liked it, it was always a part of my life, like, started with my grandma, was big with me and my brother, and so, like, and I've said this many times, honestly, early TNA kind of saved my fandom in many ways. Because I got into that, and, you know, there were obviously some names I knew, but I was really getting introduced to a bunch of new guys, you know, Styles and Daniels and Lowkey, and getting to see a guy like Jerry Lynn, who I personally think doesn't get enough credit for his 
early work helping to establish the X Division and put guys over as stars. Um, just a lot of that just really, you know, helped me. And then, like, you know, people would be like, well, if you like AJ Styles here, you know, he works in Ring of Honor, and so does Daniels and Loki and stuff like that. So, of course, I started checking out Ring of Honor. And then from there, it was just kind of like a domino effect. I would occasionally check out PWG. You know, I, I was uh, got into Lucha a bit in the mid-2000s. Um, you know, New Japan, obviously, stuff like Evolve. Uh, just kind of kept adding stuff because it was all different in various ways. And to me, I just I, I just liked consuming it all and finding different stuff. And for me, Lucha Underground, that was like the one big thing is, like you said, it was it was very much a TV show instead of a wrestling show first. And it, it was different. I, I liked the whole they created their own universe. It was this weird mashup of like a, a graphic novel or a comic book and a grindhouse movie. And I love like a grindhouse and exploitation movies and stuff like that. And like, and in a way, bad B movies as well. Uh, it like had that mix of all that stuff. And I really, I really dug that, really enjoyed it. And um, when it came, when it was coming to an end and I realized that I, I really hated that. But, um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with Lucha Underground. So, we go back here to uh, October of 2018. Ultima Lucha Quattro, Part 1. Jeremy in our first... Uh, before we get to our first match, we have uh, Aerostar. And he's um, doing his gimmick trying to get the medallions. So he can uh, travel in time and all that shit. And um, Aerostar has appeared in Impact a little bit. And he's still in AAA. Diving off of giant fucking light rigs. Yeah. With no regard for his own personal safety. Really trying to kill himself every time out with these giant dives. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Aerostar still around. Like I said, he's appeared in Impact a few times. And uh, he's been fun there. But uh, hasn't locked into any kind of US deal right now. Our opening match was for the uh, the Trios Championship. We saw the Reptile Tribe, which was Cobra Moon, who uh, has worked some ROH, still works like Shine and a bunch of indies, and she's worked the UK and stuff. Sammy Callahan as the Snake, who is obviously an Impact and ready for a world title shot. And Daga, who reportedly just signed with Impact, and I really like that move because he's really good. Dating Tessa Blanchard as well. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, not a bad life for Daga then, you know. No. Good on, good on him. So, I mean, but seriously, I like him a lot. That's a good pickup as opposed to bringing in, like, Rhino and Johnny Swinger and shit. Need to be bringing in guys like Daga. So, and they faced off with the Rabbit Tribe, which was uh, the Bunny, which I don't know who the Bunny was. Paul London, who still works some indie dates and I believe just did some producer work for Impact. And the uh, the White Rabbit, which is Killer Cross, who is kind of on the outs with Impact Wrestling right now. Uh, worked a lot of trip away, but he's uh, looking for a better deal with Impact. Um, doesn't look like he's quite getting what he wants, but at least he gets to go home to Scarlet Bordeaux. The Bunny is none other than former WWE legend El Torito. Was it really? Yeah. Okay, I I couldn't remember. I, I didn't think so, but there you go. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, they faced off with Sammy Guevara, who is now in AEW. So, and he'll be on the debut episode versus uh, Cody. Exolicious, which is Sunny Kiss. And Sunny Kiss has also made his way into AEW. 
And they were teaming with Ivelisse, who is... Well, Ivelisse was on Tough Enough, and she had a developmental deal, and she got released. Uh, had a cup of coffee and Impact, never stuck around. Uh, works like Shine and stuff, and depending on who you listen to, has a lot of attitude issues, which is why she really hasn't locked on with anyone. Yeah, um, I've heard the same thing about Ivelisse. She was at the AEW Battle Royal um, yeah. at All Out, wasn't she? So. She was, but so. no, no contract or anything. Um, a lot of talent in this match. A lot of people who got picked up. I mean, Daga, Callahan, Killer Cross, all all with Impact, Guevara, um, and Sunny Kiss with AEW. So just right there, that's over half the people in this match, and they're all in do, doing pretty well for themselves. So uh, yeah, a lot a lot of talent in this match. Yeah, and like I said, it's just kind of fun to look back and see what happened to everybody and where they moved on to. But like I said, a lot of talent here. Um, so we next match was uh, Ricky Mundo, uh, which was... Let me see here. I have his name here. Yeah, Ricky Mandel. Uh, he was playing uh, Johnny uh, Johnny Mundo's uh, like mini-me stalker. And uh, he ruined the wedding to Taya and Johnny uh, Mundo. So Taya got revenge here and beat him. Uh, from what I can tell, according to the cage match, Ricky Mundo has not done much since Lucha Underground ended. Of course, uh, Taya survived uh, being um, possessed by a killer doll here at the end of uh, Ultima Lucha. And made her way to Impact, where she's been successful as the Knockouts champion. So good for her overcoming the doll possession. The longest reigning knockouts champion, depending on who you believe. That's right. Depending on who you believe. Fucking wrestling. What a word. But, uh, <laughs> Impact yeah. says she's the longest reigning, and every other database says she's not. Yeah. But uh, good on time, man. I mean, she's obviously made the most of her Impact ranks. I think a lot of people thought she was just, well, she's just coming in as Johnny's wife. But, I mean, you know, she's had just as good, if not a better run than he had, because he's gone right now. So she's had a strong run, and um, she's had to overcome a lot, though, because, like, what sucked for her is she got to a point to where she felt she was starving herself and really hurting herself, so she opted not to do that anymore and put on some muscle and put on a little bit of weight, which, of course, led to a bunch of assholes claiming she was fat. Yeah, um, I mean, we don't need to get into all of that. She's not fat and i mean i think that was almost perpetrated by whether he meant it as whether he meant it that way or not austin aries kind of pushed that out there before the match with a uh, johnny impact that was a boundary glory last year um Something when like that, yeah. when aries walked out and was never seen in the company or because he's an mlw now uh so yeah that Taya, don't listen to the haters. She looks fine. Very good wrestler. Um, and a good run. This was, again, like, she she had done stuff in, I think, uh, AAA yep. prior prior to this. But this really boosted her to, like, the American fans. Like, oh, th- this is Taya Valkyrie. And, you know, she she's good. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy she's had a good run. And, yeah, just, um, yeah, that bullshit with some of that stuff. People are like, oh, geez, she put on some weight. It's like, yeah, she doesn't look fucking anorexic now, and she's happy. Good for her. You know, it's, it's just some of the stupid shit people say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, very happy for her. She's, she's worked really hard. And like I said, it's um, she had to overcome a lot just for the fact that I think, like I said, people thought she, she's just going to be Johnny's wife. 
and be a sidekick, but she carved out her own uh, path there, and she's done really well, and she's, I enjoy her. I think she's been very good in Impact. So she's also a great bitchy heel. So that's also a good positive for her. And our main event of part one was a mask versus mask match, which saw Son of Havoc defeating Killshot. Son of Havoc is M-Dog 20 or Matt Cross, longtime veteran, uh, really respected guy, really good worker. He uh, worked all in. I He's, he's not signed anywhere now. Uh, I would not surpri- be surprised to see him end up at AEW, even if on like a part-time basis, because he's friends with all those guys, and he's still really good. Killshot was uh, the now uh, was Shane Strickland, who is now Isaiah Scott in NXT. Strickland had a really good indie run. Uh, he kind of took over in many places, like the role Ricochet left when he signed. Got a ton of bookings out of that. And uh, was really good and obviously made the most out of his uh, indie run and his Lucha Underground run and is now in NXT. And I think he was announced as he's going to be part of the 205 uh, live roster going forward. Matt Cross, he had been around for, it seemed like, forever. He wrestled like all the indie companies um, after uh, WCW went out of business, like Combat Zone and, and ROH, and he was part of Wrestling Society X as well. And it it's kind of amazing. Like, he didn't really catch on anywhere. And I guess there's a, a number of reasons for that. Like, he never struck me as the most charismatic guy. But his, like, Son of Havoc run in Lucha Underground was really, really good stuff. Like, that was... He was there from, I believe, like the jump, and he had just a bunch of different storylines going. And he was he was maybe not like the top star in the company, but he was certainly a focal point for for the majority of the the four seasons. And yeah, he he worked all in, and he hasn't still hasn't really caught on with any company, despite there being so many out there. It'd be nice if someone just brought him in as like a good mid carter who can just have good matches essentially just a good hand like you need those guys he's not gonna be anything more than that like he's almost 40 years old so he's not like a future star in the business or anything but he just go out there he can have good matches he can work with a bunch of people a bunch of different styles and uh, that's sometimes what you need especially when you're a television product and stuff and then kill shot change trickling good run in mlw and now he's in nxt and i guess uh 205 live so see what happens i'm a big fan of uh change trickling yeah, I'm actually shocked that, like, oh, I shouldn't be because they're stupid, but kind of shocked that ROH hasn't brought him in. Like you said, just to be a really good guy on the mid-card to have good matches with a lot of guys. And it doesn't have to be, like, a full-time deal. Just like, you know, like, hey, we're working this weekend for a TV taping and a live event show on the Honor Club. Why don't you come in and work Flip Gordon or something? You know, fuck it. Just bring him in and have him do something. PJ Black has that role. Well, yeah, so... Anyway, yeah, PJ Black is PJ Black. So, and uh, this led to the unmasking of Killshot as uh, Lieutenant Jermaine Strickland. And, uh, you know, the whole gimmick was uh, he, uh, he had been hiding under his mask for years because he left his brothers for dead in the war zone. So I had written, everybody fucking apologize to Dante Fox who outed this motherfucker from the beginning. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, going back to Son of Havoc, yeah, he was definitely a focal point. He was always really over to the Temple crowd. They loved that guy. So, yeah, he had a really, that was probably the best run of his career was Lucha Underground. I think it's safe to say. 
And yeah, definitely. Speaking of Dante Fox, they did like a little postscript with uh, him meeting with Strickland and stuff, and uh, them kind of burying the hatchet and Strickland uh, requesting to be relieved of duty, and it was like the end of a Rambo movie because he was being sent home. So, uh, and uh, Dante Fox is A.R. Fox, who is kind of stuck in purgatory, just working Evolve. He's doing fine in Evolve. Any tag team champion? Yeah, it's just, I okay. I always thought like he'd do a little more again. I don't know. I guess there's there's reasons why people haven't latched on to him too. So, you know, I don't know specifically why. I know there were some attitude issues in the past with Evolve and other stuff, but... Whatever, but he's a, he's a really talented guy, definitely a good guy in Evolve, and he pretty much always delivers. But he had a really fun run in Lucha Underground as well. So that was part one. We go on to part two. We have uh, Johnny Mundo, who is uh, later became, as we mentioned before, Johnny Impact, the former John Morrison. Had a he's had an interesting career when you think about it. He had, he had the big run on Tough Enough where everybody thought he should have won, and uh, you know he he ends up coming in does the Johnny Nitro thing does John Morrison and all that uh, ends up having a neck injury comes back for a little bit leaves WWE uh, goes around the Indies a little bit does Lucha Underground he had a really good run in Lucha Underground. Really enjoyed his stuff there. He made a Boom the Bounty Hunter movie with his own money. And they showed the shit out of that on Impact for like a year and a half. Uh, but uh, yeah, then he ended up in Impact, became world champion, had a really good run there. Was a great asshole heel. And uh, yeah, Johnny is a good dude. And apparently has uh, gone to have some stem cell stuff done to help with his nagging injuries. Yeah, he's been around for a while, and I mean, he's still in good shape. He can still do a lot of that parkour stuff and whatnot, but when you've been doing that for so long, it catches up to you, and so he probably needs this time off to rest and recharge. I know he's still making independent appearances. I think he wrestled at a bar wrestling this past week, so I know he's still doing a handful of indie dates and whatnot, Um, but he's up there, and he his impact run was good. I don't know if he, you know nothing impact does moves the needle at this point, but he did have a good run with the with the title first as a babyface and and then as a heel. Um, so he he's made the most out of his career after WWE, and he seems to be enjoying himself. So he made a cameo on Being the Elite recently, and so I'm sure that popped up AEW rumors. And maybe he's another guy where you know Johnny Elite, you know, he can come in and have some good matches, do some cool stuff that the crowd will probably like, and even do some vignettes and stuff that are kind of cool. So we'll see if he he ends up in AEW in the near future. I kind of expect him to, honestly, just because I think it's like he did the impact run and everything, and I I don't think he wants to go back to that WWE grind and think AEW can definitely offer more money than impact to where he, he doesn't have to worry about taking a lot of other indie bookings and stuff like that and just, uh, yeah, I think that's where he ends up. But, yeah, I, I greatly enjoyed his impact run. I thought he did really good there. and um, But like you said, unfortunately, it's just uh, one of those things to where impact tries really hard, but nothing seems to get them attention or make people care. So, And that's not being rooted, just what it is. I'm just I'm talking to you from a, numbers and, uh, from a numbers and statistics aspect of what I see on the site. Look, you've gotta you've gotta be able to find impact to care about it, and no one can find the damn show. Yeah, uh, we move on to 
Dragon Azteca Jr. versus Phoenix. Dragon Azteca Jr., better known to many as Ray Horus, working in MLW now. He had a fun run in Lucha Underground. Never a top guy, but a really solid and fun worker. Phoenix um, was obviously getting a ton of pub in Mexico before Lucha Underground. Lucha Underground, like Jeremy mentioned earlier, that a lot of people got their first kind of main U.S. exposure through Lucha Underground. And Phoenix is definitely one of those guys because there were a ton of people. I remember I reviewed the first couple Phoenix matches. And just, I remember all the comments like, who the fuck is this Phoenix guy? Just like people were like enamored with him, wanted to see more. So he's definitely a guy that um, got a lot of attention from being on uh, Lucha Underground, which is Lucha Underground, one of their credits, you know, because they can... You know, he got that attention. He had a really strong Lucha Underground run. Tons of great matches. Uh, like the um, the Day of the Dead match stuff with, like, uh, Mil Mortez were some of the best Lucha Underground matches. Uh, just really great stuff from him. Always enjoyed him. And, uh, yeah, he obviously a bigger star than Dragon Azteca Jr. And um, just a, um, a really good run here, which uh, parlayed into a... MLW and Impact run where he did a lot of fun stuff with Pentagon, his brother. And uh, now he is all elite along with Pentagon. So definitely parlayed the uh, Lucha Underground success into some good stuff coming out of it. Another guy where, as I said, if you weren't familiar with him as a U.S. fan because of everything he was doing in Mexico, like Lucha Underground brought him to to the U.S. picture. And look what he's done with that. And he was a, he was a guy, as you said, you know, Lucha Underground put a lot into him. He had a lot of good stories, a lot of good matches. A lot of people uh, took notice of him. And, yeah, now he's doing really well in All Elite. So, uh, got on him. Phoenix was Phoenix was awesome in Lucha Underground. Yeah, def- definitely one of their bigger stars throughout the entire run there. Um, we move on to a death match featuring Mil Muertes versus The Mac. Uh, the Mac, Willie Mac, um, you know, had his run there. He had a, he was always over as a huge baby face in Lucha Underground. They loved that guy, much like Son of Havoc. Was always over, had a lot of good matches. And Willie Mac was a guy who, you know, had that WWE offer and then had it rescinded due to the, I guess, failed physical. And um, so he didn't get that national stage to WWE. Got it here after years of being highly praised on the indie scene. And um, he definitely made the most of his Lucha Underground run. Like I said, always over. Always delivered a lot of really good to great matches. And um, he obviously moved on from there. Did a little bit with uh, the NWA and ROH. And then there was the uh, Kibosh put on that with a cease and desist. So he's working with Impact now. And the Mac has been really good in Impact. Uh, Teaming with Rich Swan. He's had some good singles matches. Really enjoy Willie Mack. I'm glad he's getting um, a good run in Impact. And um, definitely I could see him and Swan in the tag title picture soon because they're a tremendously fun team. It'd be nice if if I think they could even do more with Willie Mack. I mean, Rich Swan was the X Division champion before losing it. Um, So Rich Swan has done a good job in Impact, but Willie Mack could certainly do more, and they should definitely be in the, the tag title scene like especially after losing LAX, you're going to need more teams up there because right now you have, what, the North, the Rascals who have been there, but like uh, I feel like their their time is either it's past when they could have done it or it's still to come because you need to almost reheat them. Um, 
And then there's not like you got the fucking the Desi hit squad. No one cares about them. Uh, so you need to heat up some new teams. And, and Swan and Mac would certainly be that team that easy to to cheer for and get over because their their style and their their personalities. Uh, Willie Mac, yeah, a good good run in Lucha Underground. Stunner was uh, very over in the temple and no more taste another guy who comes from wrestling society x and that was one promotion i kind of failed to mention on where i, I said lucha underground they kind of brought this style to the american audience but really wrestling society x did it first it's just no one was almost ready for it and so lucha underground it was happened at a more acceptable time when people were craving something like this. But you can definitely see anybody who watched Wrestling Society X, Lucha Underground, you can see the influences of Wrestling Society X on this show. And uh, much like MDoc20, Matt Cross, uh, Son of Havoc, No Mortes came from that promotion as well. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, like, you know, I, I have the Wrestling Society X complete DVD sex. I, I covered that show and I got it sent to me afterwards to review and i did that i i i enjoyed a lot of wrestling society x and you're right it was kind of like a precursor to alicia underground but the funny thing is like if you go back and you watch it now like if you didn't know the context of everything it comes off as like dollar tree lucha underground because it's yeah. just it, it wasn't as well produced and like the stories weren't as good but you're definitely right though the roots of lucha underground are definitely in wrestling society x you can see a lot of that shit there and it is really interesting because Lucha, Wrestling Society X was definitely, I think you're right, nobody was ready for that. It was just at a time where people weren't, people, it, it goes back to what we say about like kind of fickle wrestling fans. Everybody says they want an alternative. And then AEW starts selling tickets and putting on successful shows and they're like, well, fuck this AEW shop, t-shirt company. It's like, what do you want? You, you bitch that Impact's not good enough. You say your ROH sucks. You don't want to watch any New Japan or Lucha. You have a new promotion in the U.S. They're on a huge cable network, and it's just like it's still not good enough. I'm not saying you have to praise AEW. It's like we, Jeremy and I have talked several times. Far from perfect, but it's like they're trying to give you something new, but it's just like nobody's ever quite happy, and like... Wrestling Society X was like, I just remember covering that, and people were just at the time, like, what the fuck is this show? I don't get it. You know, and it's just like, yeah, definitely came too early, but a really interesting time when it did come out. I mean, it was very, in Lucha Underground, the as the roots is a good word, because you know, Lucha Underground took place in the temple, Dario Cueto's temple. Wrestling Society X took place in, what was it, the fucking, like, hidden bunker. Um... Like, a, you know, it was a taped studio show almost that was just completely over the top and madness, but it was something different. It's just, it was on MTV, and MTV was, I mean, they're still trying a bunch of different shit. Uh, it just wasn't, you know, in 2006 when it, when it was on, it, it wasn't something people were ready for. 2006 was kind of almost super indie time with ROH and TNA, and so Wrestling Society X didn't, quite fit that mold it was way more over the top and people looked at it as like a almost a, a czw but i think they wanted more ecw and it was just completely over the top from ecw because it, it was it was like lucha underground almost like a television show that just had wrestling in it it was very it wasn't yeah if you compare it to lucha underground it was very it looked low budget but at the time like it just looked like a, a high budget action movie with, with wrestling 
Yeah, and like I said, if you if you watched it out of context and you didn't realize what came first, I mean, it looks like a ripoff, but like you said, in actuality, though, the roots of Lucha Underground kind of go back to that. And then you look at some of the talent that were in there, like you mentioned Bill Murders, like Joey Ryan and Jack Evans and guys like that were around in there, too. So it's like, it's, it's really interesting to see how those guys ended up in something very similar, but better later on. So... And the other thing, too, is obviously Lucha Underground had more money behind it and, you know, just better producers and stuff, too. So that obviously helps. Uh, yeah, Mil Muertes uh, ended up uh, leaving AAA after a dispute. He had some knee injuries, uh, had surgery, and then worked a bunch of various Mexican indies and CMLL. And he's just a dude that's still around. He's getting up there in age and his slow down, and he's likely not locking on with anybody important, but he, he'll always be out there. Yeah, he's like 44, 45 years old. He's not doing anything special nowadays. So, uh, we had our Sacrifice to the Gods match for the uh, the special gauntlet, which if you didn't watch Lucha Underground, they had had this uh, special gauntlet of power that uh, they did, they were running just angles on and like Matanza was sacrificing people and ended up killing Brian Cage. And like he, he put the gauntlet on and like, yeah, just all kind of crazy stuff. And Johnny Mundo was going for revenge against Matanza. Uh, we talked about Johnny Mundo obviously moving on to Impact. Matanza is uh, the big, adorable Hawaiian Buddha, Jeff Cobb. Which, when you really think about it, was such an odd choice when you have, like... It, well, not for this show. But, like, when you think about it, it's like... You bring in Olympic-caliber wrestler Jeff Cobb, and your first thought is... We're going to mask him up in a bloody suit and make him a killer monster that's possessed by gods. <laughs> it's like, not my first thought. But, I mean, it obviously worked. He was great as Matanza. It was really interesting. And, obviously, he didn't get burned out by being Jeff Cobb somewhere else before he moved on to ROH and other places. So, um, But, yeah, Matanza definitely had a completely fun run. A lot of really good matches. Uh, him just sacrificing and killing people during the whole last season was great because the death toll was like 800 people in season four. <laughs> I swear to God, every week people were just getting like written off the show and killed. And it was a spectacular way to get everybody out of there. But um, this match was like so fucking ridiculous, but it was so ridiculous that it played perfectly into the story that they had worked. And again, that goes back to the whole thing of when you create your own universe and you play to your own rules, which, and you brought up earlier impact using a lot of kind of things, Lucha underground worked. That's why the undead realm never really worked in impact. Because it's like, yeah, I mean, the Hardy stuff worked, but that was the Hardys and they were stars. This is like Sue Young and Allie and Rosemary. No no disrespect to them. I like them all, but they're not the Hardys. And the Undead Realm stuff was not the Broken Universe. So it, the Undead Realm sucked. Yeah, so, so I mean, sucks. it did not work. But yeah, again, you see a lot of the influence there. Uh, then uh, there was a meeting with Aerostar, Johnny Mundo ended up giving him the glove, the gauntlet back. And, um, yeah, so that was a, the whole wacky gauntlet storyline. Uh, I had the, the wacky gauntlet storyline. It certainly was wacky, but it was something that it again worked in Lucha Underground. And I would, I would mention with impact, the influence they got from Lucha Underground. A lot of the LAX stuff was, you can see some Lucha Underground influence in that with the way they would the shoot they those backstage. It, yeah. 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 Uh, as far as, uh, Mentaza goes, 
I remember when I first like heard about him, you know, I, I just heard that like, oh yeah, Lucha Underground, they have this big monster and he literally kills people. I was like, all right, this sounds sweet. <laughs> and when I saw him, I was like, wait, he's not that big. Like Jeff Cobb isn't like a huge dude. He's not like an opposing like monster like he's not like the yeah. big show well yeah he's, he's not tall but he is built like a brick shit house right right he is but you know i was expecting like even like a um even like a mil muertes like mil muertes is kind of like taller and, and stockier than than jeff cobb uh like that's what i was expecting out of mentaza i was like all right he's you know jeff cobb he's 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 short uh i realize he has the pedigree and he is stocky and built like a like as you said a brick shit house but he's just he's not a tall guy and so i was expecting like just a a larger monster uh but it still worked because first off the gimmick just ruled like the gimmick was awesome and it, it fit perfectly into the lucha underground universe and jeff cobb played it well because he did come off as legitimate all right maybe he wasn't the biggest guy in the world but he's still so strong and because of his build and with the way they dressed him like did have an, uh, an imposing figure uh and they, he could just toss people around and shit so it worked when maybe it shouldn't have when you think of like this guy who just goes around and, and literally kills people you think of kind of like a bigger i think of the uh star wars the the fucking monster in return of the jedi that tries to kill luke in the opening scene or the the second scene or whatever you know what i'm talking about where they're battling underground yeah like that's the kind of monster that i think of um and jeff cobb like doesn't give off that like big monster vibe but he's so good and it, the the character was written so well and they did so lucha underground was very much a hide the negative accentuate the positive kind of company and we'll talk about that in a second with uh one certain guy and i'm gonna blend that into somebody else yeah and i definitely agree too they they made the most out of a lot of people Cause like there were there were people in that promotion that would pop up and I'd be like, eh, really? And then like, yeah, I was like, well, that ended up pretty good actually. Okay, good on you, you know. So yeah, yeah, very interesting. Uh, speaking of another guy, they did a ton with. Um, main event was the Lucha Underground Champion in a defending in a Sierra Miedro match, Marty the Moth Martinez versus Pentagon. Mar- Marty was on the WWE Tough Enough show was looking like he was going to win until he got injured. Uh, went around the Indies, locked on with Lucha Underground, ended up doing his insane Marty the Moth character. And uh, his early stuff was okay and a little weird, but season four, he really blossomed and was awesome. He was a great fucking psychopath. And uh, his his title run was cool. Obviously, Pentagon, Pentagon Jr., Pentagon Dark, whatever you want to call him. Uh, at like Phoenix, he uh, finished his run here, works AAA, went on to MLW and Impact, and is now on AEW. Obviously, a dude is like a huge star. He's awesome. And um, yeah, he uh, won the title in this match. And uh, it was just, it was a beautiful, bloody, violent brawl that you just, you don't get a lot in wrestling. Like if you look up my uh, Ultima Lucha Quattro Part 2 review, and that's the exact title, the, the picture is Marty. This dude is wearing a luxurious 80s-style crimson mask that would make the great Muda blush. I mean, it was quite sick, actually, and it was great, though. But, uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately for Marty, he has not done a lot since Lucha Underground ended. He popped up on an Impact special, and he's done some indies, but hasn't worked a lot since, which... Uh, 
I don't know why. I don't know if he's taking time off or he's injured or if it's because of contract stuff. But uh, kind of sad he didn't uh, lock on with somebody else. Marty was well, – when you first watch the show, you're thinking this is a enhancement talent gimmick and maybe – he builds that into like a, a mid card talent gimmick, but it didn't seem like it whole had a whole lot of uh, legs, especially all the way to a world title. And he worked hard. He got over and the gimmick worked in Lucha underground. It's probably not working in, in many other places, but it certainly worked in Lucha underground and, you know, good on him. I, I am disappointed that he hasn't, you know, popped up somewhere else. Again, I don't know if it's because, He's kind of like he's Marty the Moth. And so if you try to do that elsewhere, it might not work as well. He's very I don't know if that's like a a gimmick where you could just like do it one off on the indies. Like it's not like Joey Ryan, like Joey Ryan can just go to various indies. People can touch his penis. He can do flips and stuff. And and that's that. Like Marty the Moth is is very much like there's more meat to that character to where you need almost a long storyline to really show and and flesh out everything that character can do. And there aren't like in independent companies, you're just not going to get that. I'm kind of shocked he hasn't signed on with impact. Maybe it is a contract situation, but it seems like all of those are getting sorted out with Lucha underground. So impact would make sense for him since they do kind of, with their Lucha Underground influences, they can respect that kind of storytelling. So maybe we'll see him uh, in Impact down the line. Maybe he just doesn't care about wrestling anymore. And if that's the case, good on him. Yeah, I mean, that might be the case. Like I said, it's just uh, I thought he would continue doing some stuff afterwards. Like you said, maybe Impact or something. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. He's a very nice guy. I interviewed him on the, uh, the old podcasting network on the blog talk. Martin Casal and... Uh, very very nice gentleman and um yeah i was very name drop here yeah well yeah i'm gonna gotta gotta promote (laughs) things man but no seriously he was a really nice guy and i was really glad to see him find success after the tough enough thing didn't work out so uh a credit to uh him and working hard and he's another guy that was on tough enough that didn't win that made the most out of his career i mean you look at um, like, you know, Johnny Impact, Johnny Mundo, uh, guys like The Miz, and just a bunch of other guys around the indies that ended up carrying on and doing well. He was a big success story, so I was very happy to see that. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you have anything else? Oh, on Pentagon. So this is what I was going to talk about, where Lucha Underground really accentuates positives, and also with uh, Brian Cage, because Brian Cage, they, like, I became a huge Brian Cage fan off of the show, and then he showed up on Impact, and he did, like wasn't the same person. I didn't feel like, and Pentagon didn't fall as far as my, in my book as Brian Cage did, but he's another guy where like Lucha Underground just made this guy seem like the absolute best, like the biggest star in the entire world, like the most feared man ever. Like they got everything about him over. And then he goes to Impact and AEW and, you know, all his indies. And it's just like, all right, he's cool. But, you know, I don't really feel like I know him like I knew him in Lucha Underground. It just feels like he's the Sierra Mato guy. And, okay, awesome. But, like, why is that him? It, it doesn't seem to be, like, much of a story there. And and that's my problem with, with him on the um, – independent scene and and other promotions and the same thing with brian cage and that's one thing like lucha underground did just so so well is all these people 
you knew who they were, you knew their story, you knew their reasoning to do things, and you don't get that a lot in other promotions. You just kind of, hey, it's this really popular indie guy or, you know, this really popular guy. Like that, it seemed like other companies just built off of what Lucha Underground did. They expected everyone to know these guys from Lucha Underground, and then they just put them on the show without actually explaining why they are who they are. So that's another just feather in Lucha Underground's cap to where they just took anybody. It's like, hey, this is what this person does. This is their motivations. And then other companies are like, thanks for getting this guy over and explaining everything. Now we're just going to book him and put him in positions to succeed even further to a larger audience. Yeah, I, I largely agree with that. I think those are all fair points. And like we talked about with Phoenix, um, Pentagon was another guy who was getting a lot of a lot of pub like online and stuff for his work in Mexico. And Lucha Underground got him out there to a wider audience. And that was another guy like Phoenix when I was reviewing his matches. People were like, you know, who the fuck is Pentagon, man? You know, it's like they were like interested in this dude and people got into him really quick. And like you said, he was he was pretty much the biggest star of Lucha Underground when it was all said and done. For sure. Just, yeah, like you said, they they made him, you know, you always hear people talking about the baddest person in the room. He was the baddest motherfucker in the temple. He was great. So, loved him. Uh, The post-match angle, which is going to continue on with more people. Reclusa, which is Chelsea Green, now on NXT, saved Marty the Moth from the arm break. Vampiro, who is still around, teasing matches, doing bad commentary, and claiming he has all-timers. Ran her off, and that led to the big angle where Hexagon Dark arrived to lay out Pentagon, beat the shit out of him. Hexagon Dark was Australian suicide from AAA. Uh, they did the uh, the big angle, the shooting star press off the balcony, and that led to your personal favorite, Jeremy, Jake Strong, arriving to cash in his Gift of the Gods title shot and winning the championship from Pentagon in 40 seconds. Jake Strong is the former Jack Swagger, now Jake, Jake Hagar in Bellator MMA. Sure. Um, he's... A dude. I don't know. Like, his Bellator fights are... Scott Coker knows how to book these guys to where he just gives them the easiest matchups possible and make them look good. Like, he never really did anything else, else in wrestling. He's he a, had a really shitty MLW run. All right. Well, there you go. He's... He's a guy where everyone was like, oh, WWE didn't do enough with him. They didn't do enough with him. And then he goes out on the independent scene and you find out, well, maybe that's why WWE didn't do it. And WWE made him the fucking world champion at one point. Uh, But it's like maybe that's why they didn't do enough with this guy because he's not actually as good as you, you know, everyone thought he was. Um, So, yeah, he – Whatever. I was looking forward to how they were going to follow up on this, but obviously that's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. His, some of his independent appearances were just fucking embarrassing. My man looked unmotivated, out of shape, was wearing baggy-ass basketball shorts, skipping leg day. Just, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. And then we we go into the big, um, the closing stuff here. Um, Aerostar, Drago, who's still working around. He made a couple impact appearances. And uh, they met with King Cuerno, who was El Hio del Fantasmo, and he is now in NXT. Uh, they were doing the whole wrap-up thing, which led to Black Lotus getting the gauntlet and killing Matanza for killing her parents. She fucking ripped out his heart on TV, which was awesome. <laughs> I love this show. 
Uh, and then we had uh, Dra- Drago got the gauntlet back. Uh, Jake Strong arrived, kicked, kicked his ass, took it. And then there was whole Johnny Mundo and Tyus that we talked about them. Antonio Cueto, uh, which was the father of Dario Cueto, because Dario was quote-unquote dead at the beginning of the season, uh, met with some shady figures in a limo. Jake Strong arrived covered in blood, informed everybody that Matanza was dead. And then it was revealed that the evil overlord in the limo the whole time was the former Wade Barrett, Stu Bennett. Uh, Stu did like some commissioner work in the UK, uh, did like World of Sport, did some acting, and has pretty much just been out of wrestling. Another guy where WWE didn't do enough with him, and then he left, and you know, with him and Swagger, Hagar, Strong, whatever, it comes down to all right, was did WWE not do enough with them because they just they didn't see them in that way, and then when they got on the independent scene, they just didn't care about wrestling anymore. Like I think that's partially the case, and I think it's just also a case of I mean maybe they just weren't motivated enough to do it, and maybe there was a reason WWE didn't do enough with these guys. But Stu Bennett, Wade Barrett should have been a bigger deal on the independent scene than he was, but for whatever reason. Uh, he just didn't stick with it, didn't care. Who knows what it was, but it just it wasn't for him. And then, you know, that's why you can see, like, Co- Cody has talked about it many times. And, you know, when Cody was released, he went out there, he busted his ass on various promotions. He went everywhere, tried to wrestle everybody. And it's like, this guy still really wanted to do it and prove that WWE was fucking stupid for not doing as much with him as they could have, where guys like Ryback and and Swagger and Barrett left and they didn't have that same sort of drive to to prove WWE wrong. They were just like, all right, I'm just done with it. I'm going to cash in on my name a little bit, and that's going to be that. And, I mean, they've all found their different lanes, but it also just goes to show that if – if they didn't have this drive on the independent scene to prove WWE wrong, maybe they didn't have this drive behind the scenes to prove WWE that, hey, I should be the world champion, like, put that title on me. And WWE may have been justified for not doing it with these guys. Yeah, I think you could make the argument that early on they didn't do enough with Wade Barrett when he was hot. But then the problem became later on is every time they looked like they were going to do something with him, he had injury issues. And then it became, I think, a point of, can we trust this guy to stay healthy and actually give him a sustained push? And I think the company kind of lost faith in him because of that. And you kind of can't blame him because, like, they were... How many times were they getting burnt on guys getting injured and they'd have to do, like, an emergency cash-in on money in the bank or, like, a quick title change to cover stuff? And it's like, you, you can't belt up a dude and then, like, worry about him being hurt in the next five days. Once you get that one injury in WWE, when they're getting ready to push you, you are fucked. Unfortunately, it happened for him like two or three times. Yeah, like him, look at like Kennedy, and I mean, he had other issues, but him, (laughs) Balor, like Balor was the universal champion, the shoulder injury, and then, you know, people, it's going to be one of those, WWE has not done enough with this guy kind of deals like if you get that injury right when you're about to get that big push you gotta work extra hard to prove that to get that trust back because for some reason they're just like 
yeah, we're not trusting you anymore. And I think sometimes it is to their detriment, especially in the case of somebody like a Finn Balor. And sometimes they're they're proven right. So it's a it's a case by case basis. Agreed. And then the uh, the show ends in perfect Lucha Underground fashion as we flash back a year ago to Dario Cueto's funeral. His father closes the coffin and then Aerostar appears out of the ether from time, placing the amulet on Dario and bringing him back to life. And the show closes as Dario says, what the f... And they perfectly cut it off on the F. It's a shame that we're not getting season five because the return of Dario Cueto would have led to some, some big stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, so, uh, and in closing, a couple other people to talk about. Uh, ring announcer Melissa Santos uh, obviously moved on to Impact, married Brian Cage, who is also in Impact. Uh, Shaw Guerrero, who did ring announcing on the final show, is with uh, the Women of Wrestling deal. So she's uh, in wrestling, just not wrestling anymore. She, had, she was in WWE Developmental at one point. Uh, Dario slash Antonio Cueto were played by Luis Fernandez Gill, and he went back into acting and has several projects in post-production. And obviously, while Pentagon was the biggest star of Lucha Underground, Dario Cueto was fucking fantastic. Because in an era where the the authority figure was just is just horrible and takes away from the show. This dude was always great and added to it. Like, my favorite thing is when he would come out and randomly announce, like, like a gauntlet match, which has been done, like, eight million times in the history of wrestling. And he would come out and put a fancy name on it and claim he invented the concept. And it was just, like, stuff like that, because it was almost mocking the whole concept of the fucking, um, the, the authority figure. Over the top, the dude was perfect for the role. I know everybody was worried at the beginning when they said, oh, they're hiring an actor to play this guy and not somebody in wrestling, but he was great. Uh, One other actor to mention was uh, Carmen Gloria, who played Captain Vasquez, who we found out during the whole gimmick was actually Katrina's mother. And uh, once uh, Aerostar formed the ambulance together, she disappeared into the ether and was finally at rest. So, yeah, just uh, really interesting to see where people ended up. Jeremy, kind of wrapping up, Lucha Underground, what do you think is the best thing the show ever did? Just overall, like, concept-wise or whatever, what is the best of Lucha Underground to you? I mean, it it almost is the Dario Cueto stuff because he was such a great authority figure and he captured your attention every time he was on screen. Like, the authority figure role in WWE is is useless and overplayed and just sickening to, to this point because it's the same story every single time. And Dario Cueto was he was more than an authority figure. He was like the he built this temple to just have guys fight for his entertainment, essentially. And you know, he would pay people off. He he was like a, a mob boss almost um mob boss or uh there's probably something else that i'm thinking like an overlord like a drug overlord and his drug was wrestling like this was who he was and it was awesome like that is always kind of my first and last thing of lucha underground is just how dario cueto's importance 
of the whole thing. As far as wrestler-wise, I think it's Pentagon Jr. He is the guy I associate most with Lucha Underground. He's a guy where I watch the show, I watch Pentagon, and I thought this was the the best wrestler in the world. Maybe not the best wrestler in the world, but the the most intriguing wrestler in the world because of the way they presented him and his overall arc. Um, so the Pentagon stuff, and then we didn't mention because he was in season four, but uh, uh, Puma King, uh, Ricochet. Was was there as well? I think I it was it wasn't Puma King, Prince, was it? Prince Puma. Prince Puma. Puma King is a Tekken, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Prince Puma, but but his his story as well was a, a lasting memory for me. Yeah. Um. There's there's a lot of stuff that I think you could praise about them. They got obviously introducing Pentagon and Phoenix to a wider audience. And again, I've said that they were getting a lot of publicity and attention in Mexico, but there were a lot of people that did not know how good these guys were. And once they got that attention on Lucha Underground, they were opened up to a bigger fan base, which has obviously been great for their careers, but it's been great for wrestling fans because they found a bunch of uh, cool new guys. Another thing I love that Lucha Underground did was Rey Mysterio's run. They could have brought Ray in and just had him be like a special guest here and there. But instead, they were like, I guess like a good analogy would be the Marvel Universe bringing in Robert Redford and like, like this acclaimed actor and hero that they made, they, they gave him a last major role and they tried to make it as important as possible. And then Ray delivered in that role. You know, he, he worked with Ricochet. He, he did trios matches. Just had a lot of fun stuff. So Ray coming in and working there was great. Uh, one, one thumbs down we can definitely give is the whole Alberto Del Rio run because he's an asshole and he sucked. Um, yeah, I don't remember it, but it was bad. I try not to remember it. So, he feuded with uh, Mundo, didn't he, yeah. for the most part? Yeah. So And I think probably the biggest thing for me is the fact that they fucking went out of the box and proved that not everybody has to put on the same goddamn fucking wrestling show as everybody else. You can go out there and you can still have great wrestling. You can still tell detailed stories and you don't have to use the formula that has been beaten into our heads for the last 20 plus years. You don't have to have the cliche authority figure. You don't have to have the opening promo. You don't have to have constant clusterfuck finishes. I mean, they did some of that stuff at times, but like Dario was not your average, you know, GM style guy. He was, again, he was, like you said, the best way to put it, he was a mob boss. He was a guy that built this temple to watch people beat the shit out of each other. He wasn't above t- uh, paying people off to do his dirty work. He wasn't above taking a bribe to switch matches and just be entertained. You know, stuff like that. So, I, And I just love the fact that they took a great mix of, again, like a graphic novel, grindhouse movies, exploitation movies, B-movies, and they just, they did so much with those, the promos and vignettes and everything and just the backstage stuff in terms of how they produced it, how they shot it, how they presented it, and how they used that as driving storytellers uh, for the show. And, you know, a lot of people didn't like it. I actually love the fact that, like, those video packages technically were quote-unquote not part of the show. Because when things would happen in the temple, Vampiro and Matt Stryker were oblivious because they weren't quote-unquote shown on the big screen like on Raw. 
These were things that just happened. It wasn't like a random camera caught a guy beating someone up backstage. This was supposed to kind of show you what was going on outside of the temple and technically wasn't part of that part of the show. So I just liked that it was completely out of the box and different. And I fully understand that Lucha Underground was not for everybody. Because I know tons of people hated it. And I know tons of people loved it though. But for me, it's just, I, I think it was great in the fact that it dared to be different and it just, it didn't want to be a pro wrestling show to be a pro wrestling show. It wanted to be a show that told stories that featured pro wrestling. And I think they were highly successful at that in terms of accomplishing that. Unfortunately, they were never able to properly merchandise their talent. They had some merchandise, but they were never able properly able to monetize and merchandise that aspect. They were never able to score any kind of other TV deals to monetize that and get TV rights. Maybe Lucha Underground came ahead, came along a couple years too early because we're in a thing now where people are paying all kind of money for rights fees. But for whatever reason, it just didn't work out for them. And that's a shame. So obviously, financially, they were not a success. But I think that they they did a lot right. They left a mark. They got a lot of talent over that are still making marks and working in the business. And like you brought up earlier, there is a lot of their production value that has been brought into wrestling. And I think for for good, honestly, because it's good to use different things so that you're not producing the same shit all the time. And that's probably just the, I guess, period, the best thing that they did. And probably their legacy overall. Yeah, Lucha Underground. I, I again, you sold me on it because you were just like, it's a television show with wrestling. Like, it's a, it's a TV drama, but it has wrestling. I was like, all right, cool. And it's very story-driven, which is awesome. And the stories are... They're not your typical wrestling stories because they didn't play by realistic rules. They they had people travel through time. They had the, the gauntlet where you'd punch people's brains in. They had this monster who would eat people and rip people's hearts out and stuff. But there was also still just the realistic element of this person killed my father. This person killed my family. Uh, you know, who kind of like who done it? kind of stuff much better than the the roman reign stuff um it, kind of dark stuff and they they gave everyone a character like everyone had a purpose in the temple you didn't see a guy and you're like why is he here you saw a guy and you're like and they explained this is why he's here this is what he's doing this is what he's after and it wasn't always this is after this guy's after the title it was like this guy is just here because he found this place. He really like kind of like Willie Mack. He's here for like a good time. He likes to wrestle and he likes to entertain the fans and he wants to just, you know, he found this place and this is what he's doing. So they gave everybody uh, some type of backstory and it worked like Lucha Underground. Yeah. If you go off screen stuff, a lot of issues off screen on screen, some of the best story and wrestling I've ever watched. Yeah, so I am. Uh, I definitely miss Lucha Underground. I, I, it's a shame that they didn't kind of get to come back and finish up. Cause I was, I was interested to see where they were going to go and who they were going to be able to use. Cause you know there were people that their their deals were coming up and all that. And it's a, 
but yeah, it's um, I I really enjoyed it. And again, I think the important thing for me was it was a different hour of TV. It, it it didn't want to do the basic wrestling show, and I think that's good. I think wrestling should. I mean, at it, the heart of it, good professional wrestling is good professional wrestling. But I also think that pro wrestling should strive to be more than just basic pro wrestling. I want good wrestling. I want great wrestling. I want good stories that make sense. I want I want flippy doos and super kicks, but I also want an emotional story like Cody and Dustin Rhodes. I I want craziness. I I don't mind a near death angle if it's actually shot well and makes sense. I'm okay with a monster eating someone's face. I'm okay with Brian Cage's face being exploded by a gauntlet. You know, it's just I am I am okay with all kinds of different stuff, and I think that's that's probably just the best thing about pro wrestling is pro wrestling doesn't have to be one thing. It can be so many things to so many different people because, you know, there are times, man, that like, I don't give a shit about a grapple fuck match, but there are times where like, it is extremely entertaining when it's done well, you know? And then there's nights where I love a good super kick spot fest. And then there's nights where I want to go back and watch Flair and Steamboat. You know, so again, just like wrestling doesn't have to be one thing. And that's why variety is always good. And I'm glad that that's why I'm glad that, you know, like we have AEW coming in. I don't know if AEW in the long run is going to work or if it's going to be a massive success or if they're actually going to be the alternative slash revolution they want to be. But the fact is, is they have a chance to be. They have a chance to be something different. And that is really exciting. And I just, you know, I, again, we talk about this a lot. Love pro wrestling, Jeremy. It's great. Yeah. So, Jeremy, your favorite part of the show is coming up now. Going to talk about some ROH now. Oh, God. If we must. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. You told me to to watch these shows. I didn't watch the Sunday night show. I was just dead tired today. Um, and I picked and choose what I watched out of the Friday and Saturday shows because, look, I, I was not watching these shows live. Saturday was UFC for like eight hours in the afternoon. Sunday afternoon, it was the first week of football, so I watched that over ROH. I watched the matches that you gave good ratings to. I was not sitting through three hours of, of this shit for my weekend. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. You can uh, comment on what you watched, and if you want to chime in on any booking of stuff you didn't watch, that's fine. We'll kind of run it down here because, again, there uh, I don't think there were many people watching, and there weren't a lot of people covering these shows. Trust me. There weren't a lot of people in the building from the pictures I saw. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we talk about Chicago for sure. Uh, night one in Dearborn started off with the top prospect tournament semifinal match. Dak Draper beating the Haitian sensation. It was okay. The Haitian sensation is not a good professional wrestler. God bless him. He's a weird mix between Kofi Kingston and no way Jose. And with really none of their ability. So we'll just move on. Uh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Silas Young and Josh Woods uh, defeated the Bouncers in a solid tag match. The Woods and Silas Young dynamic is coming along nicely to where Silas is still trying to drive him to be an uber heel, but Josh Woods doesn't want to be. He's trying to be a good wrestle lad and shake hands. 
Uh, Roosh defeated Triton, which they, they changed this. It was supposed to be Stuka Jr. They changed it to Triton, who was wearing the world's smallest trunks. So Roosh kicked his face in with the bull's horns and beat him at 345. It was a delicious squash. As it should be with Roosh. That's right. Uh, Mark Haskins and Rhett Titus had an unannounced match. Uh, pretty good match. It was about 10 minutes. Um, like I said in my review, it was a pretty good match where absolutely no fucks were given by the live crowd because God bless Rhett Titus. Dude's in good shape and he tries, but it's just nobody cares. And I'm not trying to be an asshole about it. It's just like, you know, he came out and like, you know, Mark Haskins won the match and Rhett Titus came out and people were like, it's like, oh, it's Rhett Titus. Okay. Mark Haskins won, which he should have. He used an awesome sharpshooter where he locked it in, sunk it in deep, and then basically did a back bridge and had his head on the mat and tried to break out Rhett Titus in half, so it was great. Had a bad segment with the Allure and the Women of Honor, so we'll just move on. The best in the world, Jeremy. Shane Taylor joined commentary. Uh, next up was Kenny King versus Jeff Cobb versus Tracy Williams. They hyped this match as a potential match to where a winner could get a TV title shot, despite the fact that Kenny King and Jeff Cobb are in the world title tournament daily. Or Jeff Cobb has a world title shot and Kenny King's in the tournament. Uh, it was a good match. Uh, Shane Taylor was great on commentary. He was bitching about not being used, not being put on the posters. Uh, as I told you, Jeremy, Kenny King was winning this match because Jeff Cobb had a title shot in his pocket and he beat Tracy Williams. So stupid. I didn't say it was smart. I just told you it was going to happen. I know. Just let Jeff Cobb win these matches. And then, you know, Tracy Williams had him pinned and everything and they had the breakup and it's just let Jeff Cobb destroy these people. Well, Kenny King. Sense, Imagine trying to build around Kenny King in 2019. Well, it's very believable when you're building around Matt Taven. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, next up, Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham defeated Joe Hendry and Dalton Castle. Uh, they got a little over 16 minutes. They had a good match. Uh, the dynamics worked really well between the two teams as they were still teasing the Gresham heel turn. And Lethal and Gresham won with the cornet cutter. So, good match. Uh, next up, Villain Enterprises defeated uh, Okamura, Ray Bucanero, Hechicero, and Barbaro Covenario. 16 minutes. Very good match. Again, uh, Villain Enterprises, probably one of the few bright spots in ROH this year. They continue to deliver. I watched this one because I like Villain Enterprises, and I kind of just wanted to... It's, they're going to run a Global Wars tour with CMLL. I wanted to see some of the CMLL guys and really fun match. Uh, Villain Enterprises winning, not too surprising there, but big fan of, of Villain Enterprises, and I'll talk about their booking here in a second. But this was a good match. People should go out of their way. Eh, maybe don't go out of your way, but if you have some time, you should check it out. Yeah. And let's see here. Moving on, we had uh, Volador Jr. and Stuka Jr. replacing Triton, defeating Matt Taven and Vinny Marsegli as expected. I uh, thought it was a really good match. They did a nice job of setting up the uh, Volador Taven match the next night with this one. Uh, Stuka Jr., again, I, I think he's uh, kind of underrated in the fact that when he comes to ROH, he always works hard and he's really good. Okay. I, I, I didn't watch a Matt Taven match, at least not this one. Hey, fair enough. <laughs> uh, Alex Shelley arrived and was talking about his uh, loss to Matt Taven in Toronto. 
you know, he took the champion to the limit, so he took some pride in that. And he said it was not bad for a guy who had two matches in 16 months and his first singles match in three years. It's an exciting time to be a wrestling fan. He wants to wrestle guys like Mark Haskins since they were in TNA together and TNA treated him like shit. He wants to wrestle Tracy Williams, Jay Lethal, and Jonathan Gresham, and that brought out Jonathan Gresham. The former Seek and Destroy members had a little exchange here. Basically, Jonathan Gresham said, You failed when you had the chance against Matt Taven. When it counted, you dropped the ball. When we needed you, you dropped the ball. So Gresham was all upset that he didn't get the same opportunities as Alex Shelley, who just walked back into a title shot. They had some back and forth, and they set up a match for the October 12th show in New Orleans. And Gresham bailed to Octopussy Chance. Because uh, Shelley had called him a puss earlier in the promo, so... At least that was a semi-creative deal, and Alex Shelley reminds us that he has talent on loan from God, and he was going to whip his ass Detroit-style. Looking forward to Gresham versus Shelley, because that should be a really good match. Yeah, I love Alex Shelley. I didn't watch the segment, but I do love Alex Shelley, and this should be kind of his role. Get get back into ROH, get some big pops. I mean, he should be doing more than ROH, but get some big pops, put over some, some guys like uh, Jonathan Gresham. Yeah. And the main event of the evening, Bandito defeating Jay Briscoe, 21 minutes or so via pin. Um, great call for this being the main event. It was the match that had the most potential on paper, and they delivered here. I thought it was great from start to finish. Hot crowd. Um, and again, it was a, another preview for the upcoming tag title match at the pay-per-view. Bandito looked great. As I said in my preview stuff, Jay Briscoe can still go as a singles. He's really great. And uh, just a great way to kind of close things up until Matt Taven arrived and laid them both out. So Roosh arrived and attacked and sent him packing to continue setting up for them. So I thought night one was a good show. Um, It started slow, rebounded in the second half. And they had some card changes, but I found it enjoyable. It's nothing blow away or that you have to go out of your way to see. I would definitely make time to watch the Bandito versus Jay Briscoe match, but, uh, you know, good show overall because it had a lot of good wrestling on it. Yeah, I watched Bandito and Jay Briscoe because you gave it a good rating, and I like both of those guys. And definitely a match you should check out. Um, definitely the best match on the show. Glad Bandito won. The guy should be winning matches. Um, and, you know, Lifeblood's got the, the title shot coming up. So this made sense to build some momentum. But definitely, I mean, I didn't watch the whole show, but this match was at least very good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So moving on to ROH, Global Wars of Spectacular in Chicago. Started off again with a Top Prospect Tournament. Austin Gunn defeated Dante Caballero in uh, 7 minutes and 40 seconds. My wife came in when this match started, and she goes, Hey, who's that guy? And I said, That's Austin Gunn. And she goes, Don't say it. I said, Yeah, it's Billy Gunn's son. She goes, Jesus Christ, we're old. I said, I know. <laughs> Seriously, that, that makes me feel old that Billy Gunn has a fucking kid that's in professional wrestling, man. But uh, he won here. It was okay, but they overbooked it with ref bump and shit for absolutely no reason. Uh, Austin Gunn winning is the right call. He has a lot of potential. He has good size, good athleticism, good look. Uh, I don't know how he'll develop going forward, but I think he has a lot of potential. Dante Caballero was a fine heel here, but they didn't need to overbook the fucking opener in the top prospect tournament match. 
come on now. Yeah, I, it feels like top prospect stuff should just be straight matches and the winner wins. Yeah, you don't have to get fucking cute with it, man. Uh, next up, Silas Young and Josh Woods defeated PJ Black and Nakamura. Uh, 755 via submission. Uh, solid tag. Young and Woods picked up another win. And uh, again, they're playing the dynamic of their team uh, a lot of, in a lot of fun. It's... um. Again, Silas is trying to be the uh, the Darth the Darth Lord here and making Woods come to the uh, the dark side, but Joss Woods just wants to have grappling matches and shake hands afterwards. He's a good guy. Uh, the Jenny Rose and Sumi Sakai defeated the Allure at two fifty via DQ. It wasn't good. The Allure attacks in post match. Maria Manic arrived. Uh, security arrived, she killed them, and choke slammed the dude through a table. And this is when the crowd shots started coming out on uh, Twitter, Jeremy. Chicago, a venue where ROH was routinely drawing 1,500 and above with ease, comes back to Chicago, dire crowd, floor full, but the upper seating largely empty, sporadic people, and... It's like, I think there was probably, I don't know, probably four or 500 people there. Just guesstimate from what I heard from people that were there. And it's kind of sad that in 2019, ROH is doing numbers that low when they used to draw well there, while MLW is almost running 2,000 in Chicago routinely. And people were to go, well, here, here's the best argument I saw. Wrap your head around this fucking argument, Jeremy. <clears throat> well... MLW had a heavy Lucha influence on their cards. And Chicago is big into Lucha. Uh, I'm sorry. This is the Global Wars of Spectacular Tour. With CMLL, who have been around for 80-some fucking years, are the biggest promotion in Mexico and one of the longest-running promotions in the fucking world. If that's not a Lucha influence and you can't draw with that, I don't know what the fuck is. That's certainly a very strange argument. That look, MLW is is hotter than ROH right now. Are they like on the top spectrum? Are they higher than ROH? I don't know. That's for the metrics at this point would probably say they are. Uh, they're they're doing bigger uh, audiences anyway. I don't know what their social media traffic is. And MLW is is like really good at do a social media stuff anyway where roh like it's just dead most of the time and the, these crowds aren't good mlw is just a hotter promotion but to say they ran they did better in chicago because uh, of the lucha influence certainly doesn't seem very correct they ran better in chicago because they're just a better promotion with better storylines yeah i just I, I could not believe someone was trying to argue that it was because of mlw's lucha influence and it's just like, again, what what the fuck is the Global Wars of Spectacular Tour? Hello? So, I yeah, just uh, have better arguments, people. It's uh, ROH is not doing well. Just wrap your head around it and accept it. It's a shame, but it is what it is. Um, and again, this, this goes back to, we, we talked about this even before the Elite left. You lost, like, all the Undisputed Era guys. You lost Keith Lee. You lost Punishment Martinez. You lost guys like ACH. You lost a shit ton of talent. And then the guys that were drawing the numbers and drawing the live audiences and any ratings or pay-per-view buys you had all left at the same time. 
And then SCU and Adam Page left with them. So all the acts that were over and developing and in high positions at ROH left after a bunch of other highly talented and over acts and top positions left. And again, they they did bring in Roosh and they brought in Bandito and some good guys. But you can't replace that and expect it to get better in just a couple of months. And it's not going to get better, especially when you have Matt Taven as world champion. No, God, no. So, moving on, proving ground match. Uh, if the uh, challenger uh, wins in any way or last the time limit, he gets a TV title shot. Joe Hendry took Shane Taylor to a 15-minute draw. They had a good match. Uh, the draw was smart here because I didn't want Taylor to lose, and they shouldn't have been beating Hendry this early. So they had a good match. Shane Taylor's really good. He works his style of match. He is a great brawler and just a shit-kicking heel that does not care about anybody else's style. Had to watch my man Shane Taylor. Did not like that I had to watch 15 minutes of Joe Hendry, but <laughs> I... I understand the booking of this match because, as you said, you don't want to beat Hendry this quickly. You can't really have... I mean, you could have Shane Taylor losing, but at the same time, just why would you do that? This was just an odd booking choice for me. Either give Hendry a win over someone who can take a loss, give Shane Taylor a win over someone who can take a loss, but uh, I I guess it's going to set up Hendry getting a title shot, and, and that's perfectly fine, too. It's just I'm not super sold on Joe Hendry and that's kind of my biggest issue with it. Shane Taylor carried him to a good match though. Neither of the live crowds, dude. <laughs> because it's like Come on. Listen, no no no, I'm talking about Hendry. Oh it's I like, know, I know. It's I like know. God bless the guy. He comes out there and does this Joe Hendry and then you hear one guy going it's like it's like I feel so bad for the guy. I mean he's entertaining and all, but it's like yeah, it's like, again, they brought him in and they expected that everybody would know who he is and all of his shtick, and they don't. So, I'm uh, shocked ROH miscalculated something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's like, I'm trying so hard not to be a total asshole about certain things, but you're right. I mean, uh, next up, the Briscoes defeated the Bouncers and Ray Bucanero and Hechicero in nine minutes. Good tag match, fun wild brawl at times. Uh, Hechicero has been a lot of fun so far on these shows. Briscoes are great. Briscoes are great. Didn't watch this match, but I will always say the Briscoes are great. So, uh, post-match, uh, Vinny Marseglia attacked the bouncers with chair shots to continue their rivalry. Uh, but uh, Josh Woods and Silas Young made the save, and then they all shook hands. It was a trap, by the way. Trust me. Rush <laughs> okay. defeated Babaro Covenario 8 minutes and 40 seconds via pin. Very good match. Roosh remains uh, undefeated. Uh, Really good little sprint here. Uh, Carbonari and him know each other well. It felt like a match that would have been better probably in CMLL with a hotter crowd, but it was really good, and Rush is just on a roll, and they are one of the few things they are doing is booking Roosh very well. Uh, At least they're booking him very well. Uh, next up, Jeff Cobb, Jay Lethal, and Jonathan Gresham defeated Christico, Stuka Jr., and Triton, 14 minutes. Another very good, tremendously fun tag match. Crowd was really into it. Uh, just pretty much what it needed to be, a really fun trios tag. You know, everybody hitting their signature stuff. And uh, afterwards, it was kind of fun because I actually did, it, it, you know, Rick Abani mentioned it, and, like, I actually agreed. Like, I wanted to see singles matches with a bunch of these guys. 
Like, I wanted to see Cobb and Stuka because they matched up really well. I wanted to see Lethal and Caristico. I would even be fine with Gresham and Triton. So it's just like, yeah, it was it was fun. It was really good. Kenny King. I watched this one. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Hey, I watched this match. My fault. <laughs> Uh, because again, I wanted to see some of the CMLL guys and I, I like Cobb, Lethal and Gresham. And this was another match. Again, you don't have to go out of your way to see it, but should check it out if you got the time. And I'm with you. There's some good singles potential with all six of these guys that we'll probably never see. Yeah. It's like, I hate to be a downer, but you're probably right. I mean, it's, yeah. So Kenny King arrived with his eye all wrapped up. Talking about his previous eye injury from the Great Muda and said that he was attacked by the cameraman the previous night. They ran video and what happened is Kenny King won his match. He rolled out of the ring, turned around, and ran into the fucking cameraman like a dumbass. So he's out there threatening a lawsuit to the cameraman and insinuated that the cameraman actually worked for the Great Muda who blinded him. But he's not a pussy like PCO, so he will compete in his match. So the match, it's, I guess it's good that they're able to turn Kenny King being a dumbass into <laughs> some type of story. But my God, dude, I mean, the worst part was, is he's like, I'll show the footage and the footage is of him being a dumbass and literally rolling out and running into the cameraman. It's like, yep. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, and so that led to our match. Colt Cabana defeated Kenny King, Dalton Castle and Marty Skrull 850 via pin. It was solid, but the problem was is that this is a match with four guys in your number one contenders tournament, and they played about six and a half minutes of this match for Kenny King eye commentary, or comedy, because they were doing stuff to where he acted like he couldn't see, so Colt Cabana would like be like five feet away from him and being like, Kenny, Kenny, I'm over here. And then they would do just a bunch of stupid shit where Kenny King is swinging his fists around and missing people. And it was really dumb. It was okay. But it should have been a better match and more serious considering the players involved in the tournament here. I didn't watch this one. Um, Good call on saying Colt Cabana was going to win because he probably needed it more than anybody. But it sounds like it was not a good use of their time to try to get this tournament over. For some reason, commentary mentioned that Marty had fired Flip Gordon from Villain Enterprises on social media. Again, I saw this. It's a trap. I don't know if it was... I watched the video of them like firing Marty because websites ran the headline like uh villain enterprises fires marty or fires flip gordon and then i saw the results i was like well then why the fuck was he in the main event like that so they ran this angle of he fired him an hour before the match and then he showed up anyway i mean i wouldn't put it past roh to do something that stupid but it was just it was baffling to me and then i watched the video i was like oh it it was a joke like he got fired because he doesn't like like a certain type of steak or something. I don't recall what it was, but it was just a a complete joke. And people were like really taking it serious that it was this actual thing. And I was like, this is, this is stupid. Why, why even mention that? It it was dumb to even mention. It, It really was. Yeah. Had no idea why. So next up in not our main event of the evening, the quote unquote, I keep hearing greatest wrestler in the world and big draw Matt Taven versus Volador Jr. If Matt Taven is such a big superstar, why is he not main eventing the show in a feud that's been built up for over a year? 
you hear that from literally Mark Radulich and nobody else. I see stupid people say stuff like this all the time. Though he's a legit troll, man. I love I, I love this one. They, they they bust this one out. It's the best. He sold out the garden. No, but he Matt didn't. Must have Matt David must have a lot of burner accounts or something. If these are the comments you're reading, it must be. But um. Matt Taven defeated Volador Jr. in 11 minutes and 50 seconds via pin. To me, this came across like a total lack of faith in Taven not getting the main event spot because it felt like they didn't trust him to deliver a great main event, and he didn't because the match was just good. But considering the built-in story, it lacked in drama and overall crowd heat, uh, and there was just no drama in a potential title change despite the fact that there was a good story going in. And let me tell you, Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman tried their fucking best here. They were calling this like it was a WrestleMania main event, man. They were trying to sell any near fall like the end. They tried so hard. But again, it was just like there was no real heater drama for it. From a technical wrestling standpoint, the match was a good wrestling match, but I found it disappointing overall considering just the fact that they had so much story and it should have been better. Uh, I watched it because it was a world title match and it it sucked. It wasn't good. Um, there, there was no, as you said, no drama because Volador was was never winning this match. And Matt Taven, I just don't, I don't buy any of his stuff down the stretch anyway. So when he gets in there, like, all right, against, even though you knew he wasn't beating PCO, like PCO was so over that you can sort of buy kind of that closing stretch. Um, but with, with Volador, it, the the crowd was sort of into it, but. Not really. Like, they didn't really buy it. What was there of the crowd anyway? Like, they didn't really buy much. Matt Taven's just not good. Like, not good at all. Hopefully this rain ends in two weeks when he faces Roosh. Because if it doesn't, oh my God, ROH is already cold as can be. But if they continue with this guy, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. So they ended up main eventing the show with Villain Enterprises versus Lifeblood. No, they did not make this a six-man title match, despite the fact that they had the chance to. Flip Gordon, who was reportedly fired an hour earlier or whatever, snuck in with a chair shot, and then they decided to make this a street fight. I guess they were hoping that the street fight would get over huge in the main event spot, because they did have a great one in Philly. And in the end, um, the baby faces, after challenging the dastardly heels to a street fight, lost like a bunch of goofs. Villain Enterprises defeated Lifeblood in a really odd booking decision at 16 and a half minutes. Uh, I thought it was a really good and wild main event, but it wasn't nearly as good as the street fight in Philly, which was great. I enjoyed the main event. Yeah, it wasn't quite as good as the previous one. Having Villa Enterprises win felt kind of odd. I'm with you because Lifeblood seemed like they could use the. I, I don't know what they're doing with Villain Enterprises. Honestly, this team should be so much more. And maybe they're not pushing them because of the whole Marty contract thing, which we've discussed uh, ad nauseum. So I won't get into that again. But I just don't know what they're doing with this group. They, 
they're winning the the majority of the time. They're the six man champions, so they they think something of them. But at the same time, they should just feel so much bigger than they do. Like they they should be at the top of this card every night. And I, I realize they were at the top here, but they should just be a much much bigger act than they are. And for some reason, they're just not. Like they should feel almost like undisputed era. And, and granted, it would probably take Marty winning the title to feel that way, and Marty should be the champion, but that's the level they should feel on um, in ROH, and they they really don't. Like, they're not the Forgotten Sons, but they may as well be the Forgotten Sons. Well, I think you could call most of the ROH roster the Forgotten Sons at this point, because... Yeah, that's fair. Again, judging by my metrics, it's not good, fellas. It's It's terrible. So that takes us to the last night of the to- uh, tour in Milwaukee. The toilet. I know. I say toilet. I almost did, dude. I uh, a little tongue-tied there, I guess. But yeah, Milwaukee, the final star um, stop of the tour. By the way, PCO and Brody King dropped the NWA tag titles prior to the Chicago show to to fucking Bram and the other dude. Bram and uh, Royce Isaacs. Come on now, get it right. Uh, a yeah. necessary move. A necessary, they, they were Bram and Royce Isaacs were the team that uh, after Crockett Cup, remember they they were in the finals. Like and no one cared. Yeah, they sucked was, the life out of the fucking Crockett Cup. Yeah, man. I was about to say I was there. No one cared about these guys. Uh, yeah, it was a necessary move because ROH and NWA split, and so once they go to television, they couldn't be the champions. They really didn't have anyone better than Royce Isaacs and. Bram. I guess not. Someone in the comment section was like, you know, they used to work together. Why couldn't they just arrange it for Brody and PCO to drop the titles on the debut of the NWA TV show? It's like, yeah, I'm sure ROH wants their guys doing a fucking job on the NWA TV show. ROH doesn't know. So anyway, speaking of villain enterprises, they kicked off the mini walk a special Defeating the bouncers at uh, 10 minutes, 10 seconds via pin. Solid opener, although I could have done without the interference uh, from Vinny Marsaglia. Your boy, the best in the world, Shane Taylor, arrived. He called out a local talent named Dysfunction. Said that if the man lasted for five minutes, he would give him the TV title. So Dysfunction was actually smart and tried to run away and stall. Taylor called him a bitch, puts his hands behind his back, and told him to give him a chance to knock him out. Dysfunction, to the shock of nobody, did in fact not knock him out because Shane Taylor hit him with a headbutt, a lariat, a knee strike, and greetings from 216, and remained the best in the world at 215. Shane Taylor is great. I mean, he's Shane Taylor, so yes, I will agree. I didn't I watch do, him. I do was... like Shane Taylor fucking wrecking dudes. They should just do that more. So, um... Oh, Jeremy. Uh, the Allure versus Kelly Klein and Stacy Shadows. Kelly Klein and Stacy Shadows actually beat the Allure when Kelly Klein hit a DDT and pinned her upcoming title challenger, which makes absolutely no sense. Uh, sure. Yep. Match was actually okay, a little better than normal. I will give them that. No, it, no, it wasn't. You were you're just being far too kind. No, it actually was. I was shocked. Uh, Kenny King mocked Red Titus backstage for his latest loss. Next up, Marty Skrull defeated Joe Hendry 13 minutes, 40 seconds. 
Uh, via submission, when Dalton Castle's music came and he came out and distracted Hendry for the sports with a Z entertainment finish. Uh, this is this is what I don't understand. First off, you're doing a, a stupid finish, but then you know we just talked about you, you can't beat Hendry this quickly to Shane Taylor, so you go to a draw, and then the very next night you have him lose to Marty Scurll off of a distraction finish. So what are you actually doing with this guy? Yeah, it's like, here's the thing about this match. It's like, Marty Skrull in a singles match should win because he's in the title tournament. Unfortunately, he shouldn't have been wrestling Joe Hendry. That's the problem right now. They should have saved that match. They honestly should have saved that match for the UK tour. No reason to burn it right now. Um, the match was really good, but again, they had that really dumb finish. Um, I thought that the match until the finish did a lot for Hendry though, because it felt like he was getting over more and he had a you know good competitive match with Marty and the finish in a way it's stupid. Don't get me wrong. It does make sense to further the castle Hendry thing, but it's just why, why are you doing it? Cause it didn't get any heat on Dalton castle. Nobody cared about it. They were just happy Marty won. So it's like it kind of just served no purpose. And again, like you said, it made no sense defeating Joe Henry tonight. No ROH match serves a purpose. So, uh, Number one, Brian Johnson, who was a loser in the top prospect tournament, came out ranting about just shit. Maria Manic arrived. He ran away. Security arrived. She beat the shit out of them. And it was the same angle they always run with her. Yeah, Maria Manic, I feel like she debuted five months ago and has done absolutely nothing. Maybe it wasn't five months ago. It feels like she debuted forever ago. And when, when did she actually debut, Larry? Do you have that? I, Do you know? I don't remember, man. I really don't. Go ahead and look it up real quick. But yeah, no, seriously, they're, they're doing the same angle all the time. She comes out and she threatens the women of honor. or She comes out and runs somebody off. And then she beats up security. I mean, it's entertaining, but it's like, it's like the Viking Raiders on Raw. I love watching them wreck fools in two minutes, but there's just no fucking vision with that booking. Maria Manic made her debut in July, or in June, sorry, the end of June. So almost three months now, um, yes, two and a half. The fact that it's felt longer says a lot, and the fact that they've done literally the same thing for two and a half months says even more. Yeah. Uh, next up, Josh Woods and Silas Young ended up defeating Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham, 17 and a half minutes. Very good match, good energy with it. Um, I like they continued the dynamics here with uh, Gresham wanting to be uh, using chairs and stuff like that. And Lethal is the good lad, so it's, uh, I'm not a cheater. He kept telling Gresham and kept trying to get him to play fair. And again, you had Silas trying to have Josh Woods cheat. Uh, really good stuff here. I thought Josh Woods looked really good in here with Lethal and Gresham. Post-match, uh, Gresham berated Lethal for being a loser. And then he finally snapped and they brawled. So after weeks upon weeks of teases, uh, Gresham, they did that uh, promo with Alex Shelley. They did this brawl here. Uh, Jonathan Gresham, officially a heel. And again, I do like the move. Uh, glad they finally pulled the trigger. On the turn, I would assume it sets up something for Death Before Dishonor um, with Lethal and Gresham, and that should be a great match, especially with the new dynamics. 
That's right. Uh, next up, Flip Gordon versus PJ Black versus Triton. Triton was back in his super small tights again, which he wore on night one, which were bordering on not safe for work. Um, I was fucking dying. Um, Caprice Coleman and Cabana just kept dropping jokes and like. These tights are fucking small, guys, if you didn't see this match. And he's sitting there, and uh, Triton hits something, and he's like... And uh, Caprice was like, well, if it, if it ain't right, it's thong. And just stupid <laughs> little shit like that, but I laughed. I couldn't help it, because Caprice is funny. And it's like his voice inflections just make it work. Uh, anyway, they had a good match here. PJ Black ended up winning, because Tracy Williams arrived and took out Flip Gordon to the back. Uh, some fun stuff in here. Not a fan of the overbooked finish again, uh, which is becoming more of a normal thing in ROH than I would certainly like. And again, it's not that it's the wrong thing, but there was already one on the show, and it is building towards Flip and Williams being in the TV title match at the pay-per-view and part of the Lifeblood Bill and Enterprises thing, but it just feels lazy. You were pinning Triton anyway, so it's not like you had to have Flip taken out. So, it was good and enjoyable. I'm- I don't have any opinion on this. <laughs> Flip, uh, Flip should have won. He's in the match. That's that. This is what ROH is, is just dumb about. Is I guess I do have an opinion on this stuff. Um, you know, they've got these title contenders set up. And then they put them in triple threat matches. And then they don't have them win the triple threat match. They don't have them take the loss, which, okay, that's good. But just have them beat guys. Like, what is wrong with them winning matches? What are they doing with PJ Black, honestly? Exactly. I was going to say, that's the point. Like, I agree with you that Cobb really should have won that one match. He was in the Kenny King one. But at least you can slightly defend that one because Cobb has a title shot and Kenny King is in the tournament, okay? But here... Like you said, what is PJ Black doing? He's working an endless string of mid-card matches that, with all due respect, nobody cares about. Yeah, PJ Black is there to put guys over. And so when you got a guy that he can put over, have him put him over. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree Flip should have won. So, yeah, just... Uh. Moving on, we had the Luchadors back in action. Carisco Stick Jr. and Volador Jr. defeated Okamura, Hechicera, and Ray Bucanero 12 and a half minutes via pin. A uh, little disjointed early, but I thought they worked themselves into a good and fun trios match, and uh, pretty much it. It has no ramifications on future ROH booking, because I don't see these guys really coming back anytime soon, and the uh, the CMLO anniversary show is, I believe, the same night as Death Before Dishonor, so they're not going to be on that pay-per-view, or likely not the next night at the TV taping, so it's uh, just a good and fun trios match from the CMLO guys. They then ran an angle where Silas Young and Josh Woods came out. It was Silas's birthday. Um, he talked about taking Josh Woods under his wing and them going 3-0. and Brought out the bouncers. They were talking about putting the past behind them and being friends again. The crowd sang happy birthday to Silas. Vinny fucking Marseglia arrived with his balloon and attacked Malonis with chair shots. They zip-tied Malonis to the ropes while Josh Woods stood there confused because he wants to be a good wrestle lad, but he doesn't want to join in on the attack. Vinny then grabbed the turnbuckle and rammed it into Bruiser's mouth, busting him open and allegedly breaking a tooth out of his mouth. Josh Woods looked on confused and 
left, sorry, leaved, yeah, good English, Larry, left, uh, and Vinny posed with the tooth of the bruiser, and this fucking feud must continue. Sounds fantastic. Lifeblood of Bandito, Haskins, and Williams faced off with the Briscoes and Barbara Carbonario next. They had a great match. High octane tag. Just everybody working hard. Uh, Lifeblood picks up the win, being further positioned as threats to the tag titles as they did pin Mark Briscoe here instead of uh, Carbonario, which slightly surprised me because I thought he'd be the guy taking the pin. But uh, Lifeblood uh, gets back on track with the win and... uh, Pretty much the uh, overall of them and the Briscoes were easily like the highlights of the tour from an in-ring uh, work perspective. As they should be. Yeah. And then the main event was Roosh and Jeff Cobb defeating Matt Taven and Vinny fucking Marseglia, who's the guy. Um, it was good. Set the stage for Roosh versus Taven well while reminding us that Cobb also has his title shot. Post-match, Taven claimed he had beaten everybody and he's going to beat Roosh because this isn't Arena Mexico, this is his ROH. Marseglia cut off Roosh, he and Taven beat him down, hit him with a belt shot, and then Taven then hit the bull's horns on Roosh to stand tall and further tease their upcoming world title match. What did this tour accomplish, Larry? Low ticket sales? Okay, I'm I'm legitimately asking you, like, did this tour actually accomplish anything? It seems like it got Roosh over pretty well, um, and I mean, he's your upcoming title challenger, so you should get him over. Uh, what else did it did it do? I, th- I think it was good for Roosh. I think it put Lifeblood in a good position. Um, they gave. Depending on how much you care about it, they gave Silas Young and Josh Wood some momentum. They did the Gresham heel turn, which I like, and set up a match with Shelley. Uh, that's probably about it, to be honest. All right. I mean, that's better than a lot of ROH shows, so. Yeah. Okay. So that is the ROH Global Wars of Spectacular Tour. Uh, largely overall a good tour in terms of in-ring action, and they did get some stuff accomplished. There's not a lot of must-see or go-out-of-your-way-to-see stuff. Definitely catch uh, Bandito and Jay Briscoe, and catch the uh, Lifeblood versus Briscoe's and Carbonario match. That was also great. I thought they were easily the best two matches on the tour. Some of the other stuff is really good, but... If your time is at a minimum, you don't really have to go out of your way to watch a lot of it. Unless there's guys that really interest you, and then go ahead and, you know, just cherry pick a few matches like Jeremy did. That's probably the best, and um, that's why I'm here to cover it all. Yeah, you, uh, I don't know. Are you paid by ROH? Are you co-opted by ROH? Well, obviously not after this podcast. <laughs> No, dude, they don't got that sweet Saudi money that entice me. Oh, okay. Because, uh, I don't know. Covering these shows just doesn't seem like a valuable use of time. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm co-opted by the 411 payroll. That's <laughs> fair. That's fair. But, uh, no. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I covered those. I, I covered the uh, Road to Destruction shows. You know what was weird about those is the fact that... Uh, I felt like I went old school covering these because there was no English commentary for them. 
Oh. So it was just Japanese commentary. So it felt like the old like live stream days before they were like on uh, New Japan World all the time and stuff like that. So, right. But uh, yeah, no, that was a uh, had to get used to that because it's been a while since I've like listened to the Japanese commentary all the time. So, but uh, yeah, and those those shows were largely good too. Nothing to go out of your way to see on them, but um, doing a fine job of setting up uh, matches for next weekend's big destruction shows. So that should wrap us up, Jeremy. Do you have anything in closing you need to say? No, not really. You are so full of love right now. I, I, <laughs> I know. Listen, thinking. as I said, it's been a long weekend. You, we just sat through ROH. I'm not going to pretend like I'm excited about these ROH shows that I only watched a handful of matches for because I'm not. Look, it's not a good company. Okay, when. Even when we review WWE, like at least there's stuff that excites me. There's nothing in ROH. It's it's not a good company. Yeah, it's uh they're definitely in a rough patch, man. It's good. I don't know and everybody well, what would you do to fix it? Well, I mean, obviously put the, I have would a put time the title machine. on Marty and yeah. yeah. Get a time machine, go back to MSG and put the damn title on Marty. That that would be I mean really I'd get a time machine and not do all in, so those guys maybe stick with you, but that would be the first thing I would do. Yeah, I mean yeah, again, I don't have an easy answer because at this point there is no easy answer. Cause you're gonna have to rebound from just a general sense of people not caring. It's gonna take time to rebound from your live crowds going down, especially in established markets like Chicago. Because those were loyal crowds for a long time, and now you're going to have to make them care again. And, you know, Matt Taven and Voldor Jr. didn't do that. So there, a lot has to be done. I don't have a simple answer, because there is no simple answer. But, um, yeah, they, they, need to, they, just, they need to drum up interest. They need to make some changes. And we'll see what happens. Maybe they do that at Death Before Dishonor, Jeremy. We'll see. I mean, they're going to put the title on Roosh, I would assume, so that's a start. Unless they don't put the title on Roosh, and then, God, who knows. Like, they cannot stick with Matt Taven. Like, there's just no way, right? They can't do that. It Right now, it would feel like an extremely stupid move to put the title, to, to, to keep the title on Taven. Because that means that you would have wasted two long undefeated streaks on Cobb and him to put over Matt Taven. Yeah. Who is, again, I'm sorry. And again, it's not all his fault, but he's not drawing. He's not creating interest. And he can sit there and do the Seth Rollins thing and talk about how we have one of the greatest rosters in ROH history all he wants. You don't. You don't have draws. You don't have interest. You have run off loyal fans who were live or die ROH for years that don't give a shit about you now. And again, it's not all Matt Taven. They have made a lot of mistakes, but the Matt Taven thing on top of it doesn't help. It's all on Matt Taven. Well, I think Bully Ray and the Lizard Man have a fair amount to do with it too. As their quote-unquote creative team. Yeah, that's a... That's a creative team. At least Bully Ray's not booking himself on the show anymore. The one good thing. But again, we've watched... Um, I actually... 
you know, I wouldn't hate if he booked himself and just put new guys over. He he'd never. I mean, he kind of does that, but they at least he elicits a reaction. Maybe it's go away heat, and I, I think the majority of it is. But at least the guy gets a reaction. Yeah, I don't know, man. They 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 need to do. They need to take stock and make some changes, man. Because the roster, and don't get me wrong on my comment about what Matt Taven said about the roster. It isn't the most talented roster in ROH history, but it is far from a bad roster. They have a lot of good guys. It's just a fact of, and this goes back to Jeremy talking about Lucha Underground, accentuating your positive and minimizing as many negatives as possible. And ROH booking isn't doing that these days. It's unfortunately hiding a lot of the positives and accentuating the negatives. So, that'll close us up here on our... ROH coverage for the evening. Jeremy, I know it's not your favorite, but I thank you for talking about it. And at least we, you know, it sounds like we're just totally burying it, but we are trying to make good points and give constructive criticism. It's just, it's hard when it's just at this level to where not a lot of people are watching and not a lot of people are caring. And we're also burying it because it's honestly not very good. Well, that's the thing too. And it, you know, I'm sorry, if you want us to praise everything, that's never going to happen. Because that gets you nowhere when you're just Mr. Positivity and say everything is great. Because everything is never always great. It's just the way life works. ROH um, is not good. Yeah. And again, I didn't. We're, we're not burying everything. There was a lot of good wrestling. It's just overall the shows didn't create interest. And that's a problem. And you look at those live crowd numbers, that's... That's rough, especially the Chicago one, man. And that goes back to what we talked about in Toronto, too. These were diehard ROH markets that always sold really well, and now you're starting to lose them. It's one thing when you're in fucking, like, Pawtucket or some shit where you draw 300 people normally and you only draw 300 people. But when you're drawing 1,700 to 2,000 and now you're drawing, like, 500, it's just not good. So anyway, we will close on that. Jeremy, thank you as always. This is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And that is it for tonight. Happy wrestling, everybody. Thank you very much.